Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. It's so good to see you here this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to be saying turn in your Bibles to Daniel for the next 18 weeks. So get used to that. Put a little marker, a little tab there. Um, I'm, I'm a child of the 80s. I, I, I was born in 1976. And, uh, you know, when you grow up in the 80s, there's just certain things. I know the show Stranger Things is really popular. They, you know, making the 80s cool or, or whatever it is. I still think it's the greatest decade of pop music ever in the history of mankind. Um, but yeah, you can clap for that. Um, but you know, w- when you grow up in the 80s, you grow up in a different, there's certain things that, that, that are reality today that we didn't have when I was growing up. And uh, this is not like walking uphill both sides, you know, both ways of school and snow. I'm not talking about that. Just like, just the conveniences. Like there was no on-demand video when I was a kid, you, you had to, if something was on television that you wanted to watch, you better be there. This is before VCRs, like you, you would have to get a magazine called TV Guide at the grocery store to figure out what was going to be on television. And so you could watch the shows you wanted to watch. And I remember about twice or maybe once a year, every year, CBS would show the movie The Wizard of Oz. And that was such a big thing, you know, the Wizard of Oz, again, this is before VHS tapes, this is before, you know, DVDs, all these kinds of things. And so, you know, once a year, you'd find out where the Wizard of Oz was going to be on television, and you'd pop, pop popcorn, and, and I remember as a kid watching the Wizard of Oz, and, and you know, the story, Dorothy and Toto, they're in Kansas, and then the, the tornado comes and picks up the house and takes it somewhere, and, and it's black and white when they're in Kansas, and when she lands in Oz, everything's in color. And she walks outside and, you know, there's just different people, different environment, different, everything's different about Oz. And there's a famous line that she says, we're not in Kansas anymore. And and if there's one statement I find myself saying internally, living in the world we live today, I find myself saying, we're not in Kansas anymore. I feel like the world is changing so rapidly. It's changing so rapidly technologically. The things that we are, are able to do um, with, with technology, not just, not just the, the idea of, of our fo- personal phones, but how technology is, is affecting us, our brains. You know, they're talking about putting microchips in brains and, and all these different, you know, just the, the technology is moving at the speed of light, it feels like. It's just a different sociologically, different value systems, different it's different morally. It's different spiritually. It just, what it feels like is we're not in Kansas anymore. And maybe you're young enough, or just, you're just growing up in the, the waters of our culture. But when the, the older you are, the more you're able to discern that things are not the way they used to be. The reason why we've called this series Thriving in Babylon is because what I, I, it feels like, is it feels like Babylon is now becoming the norm. Judeo-Christian ethics and Judeo-Christian worldview and, and the Western civilization, all the things that, you know, I grew up kind of, the, the biblical morality, even though if no one, not everyone is a believer or a follower of Jesus, there was an understood, uh, you know, definition of what was right and wrong, a, de- a definition of what was true and what was false. And it, what it feels like is that has been turned upside down in our world today. And we're not in Kansas anymore. And, and, and Babylon, the reason why I chose Babylon is, is uh, Babylon is not, just, is not just an ancient city. And even though this book takes place in the 
in the nation or the, the empire of Babylon. Babylon, according to biblical terms, has always represented the world's system that goes against God's system. The world's kingdom against God's kingdom. And, and all the way back to Genesis chapter 11 in the Tower of Babel and the plains of Shinar, very same place that Daniel mentions in Daniel chapter 1 verse 2. The place where man came together and said, let us make a name for ourselves. That's what Babylon is. Babylon is the world system that says we want to do what we want to do. It is man above all things. And Babylon has now become, when I grew up, Babylon was, was in certain cities and certain parts of cities. Babylon now is on Main Street. It's in the public square. It's in our schools and it's in our institutions. It's in our, it's in our systems. And so now we have a choice to make as followers of Jesus who aren't in Kansas anymore. We've got a decision to make. And the decision that we have to make is this. Do we, can, do we believe that we can thrive in Babylon. Daniel is a timely book because Daniel was a man who, who, who was born into the, the last great king, uh, under the last great king of Judah, King Josiah, who loved, who loved God. And so he had this biblical worldview and it was, he was ripped out of his homeland, taken to a foreign country that was not his own. And he was confronted with what kind of person he was going to be. Because the temptation for us today is this. We will either, here's our choices, we're either going to insulate, isolate, and cloister ourselves away from Babylon. I don't like Babylon. Babylon freaks me out. Some of you are like, I, I hate Babylon. I don't like where our world is headed. I don't like what's going on in our world today. And I'm just so sick of the world. And so what you're thinking of is just pulling back. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be a part of Babylon. And so, so what your idea is to thrive outside of Babylon. I have no friends I just have a very small world that I just meet together with my little group. But if I could buy a piece of property in the mountains and just get away from everyone, that sounds like heaven. But you're thriving outside of Babylon. The other option is this. Hey, you know what? I, I, you know, it's just, this is the world we live in. Let's just become like the world. And so the other option is thriving for Babylon. It's choosing to say, I will become like the world around me. I will let the world influence me, the world system. I will adopt the world system as my system. But thriving in Babylon says this, I believe that I can take my faith in the God of the Bible and I don't have to compromise my beliefs and my standards and my values. And yet at the same time, I can thrive where I'm at. That's what Daniel did. This is a timely book for us because I believe that is the choice that all of us have to make. And really those choices, the temptation for each of those things is like on a sliding scale is how old you are. The older you get, the more you just like, I want to get away from here. I remember my grandmother, she's still, she's still alive. She's got dementia. She can barely remember me, but the last few years when she had her cognition, she's around 94 years old. But she, every time I talk to Grandma, how you doing? I just can't wait for Jesus to come back. I'm just praying for Jesus to come back. I'm just praying for Jesus to come back. I'm like, Grandma, just enjoy life. But she just saw, she, she saw the, the degeneration of culture and society, and all she could think was, I just want to get out of here. And that's a temptation for some of us. But the other temptation, maybe the younger you are, is the, the more you feel like, 
I, I don't want to stand out. I don't want to stand up. I just want to kind of blend in and do my thing. And, I, you know, I don't know if I really want to be this, you know, stand up for Jesus kind of person. We all have choices to make. And Daniel, I believe, is a timely book for us, written for us in this cultural moment. Like I said, we're going to be here for 18 weeks. And, and not only does, are we dealing with the, the cultural moment of, of Babylon in the public square, I think the other issue is we're dealing with an uncertainty of our world today. You know, China is bombing around Taiwan. Russia's invading Ukraine. Supply chain issues. You know, every time you hear the news, like something else is going to be scarce. Something else, the prices are going up. And just everything feels like, what is our future going to be? And in Daniel, you actually have the first six chapters are all narrative-based about Daniel living and thriving in Babylon. And the last six chapters are, are all about prophecy or, or the prophetic realm, dealing with the future. And, and that's another reason why I believe it's important for us to study this text, because there is as much as uncertainty that you and I have is the uncertainty that Daniel had. And how was he able to make sense of the world he lived in? You know, we're, we're going to be dealing with all those. I was, did some research on, on different sermon series in the book of Daniel. Most of them, in fact, not everyone I looked at ended at chapter 6. No one was willing to go to chapter 7 through 12 because it's like, man, that's the wild and crazy stuff. Well, guess what? We're going to do the wild and crazy stuff here, okay? So I, I cannot wait to teach on the prophetic things here. Um, I guarantee you this, not all of us are going to agree upon what the, what the prophecies look like because of the, the different viewpoints in this room. But here's what I know. We need to believe that there is a God who is above all things, even the future, even the things that feel uncertain. And so what, what I want to do is just show you the, the outline of the book. The book is written, really written in a chiasm, and... and um, so what you'll see here is the chiasm of the book of, of Daniel. And it's, it, James Hamilton came up with this. I, in all my reading and study and research, all these people had different uh, chiasms of how they broke up the book. This is the one I like the most. I'm not saying this is the, you know, if you disagree with this, like, you know, you're not a pagan. You're not, you're not going to hell or anything. But this is the, the structure that I really like. But you see how it begins with exile and it ends with returning from exile. Then you have the four kingdoms. Uh, followed by the kingdom of God. What do you have in chapter 7? The four kingdoms followed by the kingdom of God. Deliver in chapter 3, deliverance of the trusting from the fiery furnace. Chapter 6, deliverance of the trusting from the lion's den. In chapters 4 and 5, what do you have? You have the humbling of the proud king in both Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. And, and so you have in chapters 2 through 7, those are written in Aramaic, where the rest of chapters are written in Hebrew. This is a book that was written not just for the people of God, but for the world. And so this is, a, this is a, again, this is a book I believe God would have us study and learn about today because we find ourselves in moments and in experiences and in, in circumstances just like Daniel. And how are we going to live? What are we going to do with, with the life that God has given to us in this moment? Stop wishing that you lived in a different time, in a different age. Stop, stop, oh, we're not, it's not like, we're not, we're not in Kansas anymore. It's like, we're not in Kansas anymore. You know, that's, some of you want to, like, you're, you're weeping, you're crying, you're gnashing your teeth like that. But the reality is this. We find ourselves, just like Daniel did, feeling like we're in exile. That first line in, in chapter one is, you know, that Daniel is, is going into exile. 
And when he goes into exile, let's look at what he says, because he's going to record this, this his exile into Babylon in verses 1 and 2. We're just going to be in verses 1 and 2 this morning. But verse 1, it says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now right there, right there's a statement of historical fact. This happened. Nebuchadnezzar came in the third year of King Jehoiakim and besieged it. Jehoiakim was a vassal king. Now listen, you might hear that the third year and in other parts of the Bible say the fourth year. Daniel is using a different dating system. He's using the Babylonian dating system, whereas in other parts of the Bible they use the Jewish dating system. So sometimes people read this and say, there's a discrepancy in the Bible. There's no discrepancy. They're using two different date systems. Okay, So when people love to point out these kinds of things, you have to understand what they're writing from. But Daniel is writing a historical fact of what happened. This was in 605 BC. Daniel's three deportations of the people of Judah into Babylon. Daniel was part of the first one in 605 BC, and that's what he's talking about. But verse 2 is different. Chapter 1, verse 1 is a historical fact. Verse 2 is historical interpretation. Look what it says. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Right there, what's happening is Daniel is giving you his perspective on what is happening in verse 1. See, all history is interpreted. All history is interpreted history. For example, I moved down here in 2000. Liz and I moved down here in the year 2000. We've been down here for 22 years. In our first job, we were a youth, was a, uh, I was a youth pastor at a church called Northside Baptist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you got to remember, if you were here, I'm not sure how many of you were here around late 90s or early 2000s, but Charlotte still felt like a southern city. It was still southern. Now, some of you are grew up here, and you, you remember what it was like. But when I moved down here, I, you know, I'm, I'm from Pennsylvania. Uh, I was a Yankee. And they didn't talk about the Civil War. They talked about the War of Northern Aggression. All right, that's how they viewed, that's how they, you know, that, that's, that was a joke. I'm not sure how many of you realize that. That was a... <laughs> Um, they used to make fun of it. It wasn't a civil war. It was a war of northern aggression. And uh, you know, enough, enough of us Yankees have moved down to kind of water down the southernness. But you know, the perspective of someone who grew up down here about certain things, historical events of, you, of our American history, was unique. It was different. And I remember going to a, a gas station one time. And, you know, it, there's a little keychain on the side. Lee surrendered, but I didn't. I'm like, I, I got to get out of here. You know, like this is starting to freak me out here. But all, all history is interpreted history. And what Daniel is going to give us in the very beginning, he's testing us. He's testing us to say, how will you see what's happening? How will you see the world around you? He's giving us a lesson in perspective because here's what he is teaching us. God's perspective changes everything. God's perspective changes everything. In verse 2, what we read in verse 2 is a perspective of verse 1. Verse 1 is human history. Everyone, every every human author, every historian is going to agree upon verse 1. But when you get to verse 2, that's where the historians are going to debate. They're going to disagree because what Daniel is saying is, I see see these world events differently than the way everyone else does. And if we don't have God's perspective, 
what we will do is we will find ourselves drifting towards the isolation and saying, I, I want to thrive, but outside of Babylon. Or we'll find ourselves drifting into, I want to thrive for ba- Babylon. But we're not going to thrive in Babylon for the name of Jesus. And so our perspective is so important. And so as, as Daniel gives this God perspective, he's saying, I want you to have God's perspective on human events. I want you to have God's perspective on authority. And I want you to have God's perspective on values. And all of these three things are going to be continually coming up over and over and over again. Every week, one of these is going to be coming up. Either a perspective on human events, a perspective on who's really in charge, the world system, the world's authority, or the perspective on the values, the values of Yahweh, the values of God. Each of these are going to be tested. And what he is saying is if you do not see the world the way God sees it, if you don't have God's perspective on things, you will drift. You will not thrive in Babylon anymore. You'll want to get away, you'll escape from Babylon, or you will become like Babylon. And that is the challenge we have today. So let's first look at God's perspective on events. God's perspective on events. Look what again what he says in verse 2. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Now, right there, it's, it's, it's interesting when you think about what Daniel is saying, because D- Daniel... Every other human, if you were to look at what happened, Babylon, the largest, most most prosperous, strongest military nation in in that time in human history, is going to attack a small, little, tiny, vassal Middle Eastern state. You know, when you compare the armies to armies, it doesn't compare. When you compare the economic system, when you can compare the architecture, you compare every other human standard of evaluation, Judah is like a little tiny thing and Babylon's like this. It would be like this. If we as the United States, one of the, one of the, the greatest superpowers in the history of the world, decided, let's just say, you know, President Biden for some reason is like, I like vacationing in, in Costa Rica, let's take it over. Could we as a nation take over Costa Rica? Sure. Well, it's not going to be a problem for us. Now, I'm not, I'm, not ad, I'm not advocating for that, okay? But the reality is, if we decided tomorrow, if our military and our, our leader said, you know what, we'd like to have a place in Central America, we're going to take over Costa Rica. Nothing's going to stop us, right? If we, if we conquered that little nation in Central America, no person would say, wow, look at what God did. See, actually, it would be the opposite. The opposite would be, if, if Costa Rica repelled right, the United States, then we'd say, what's going on? And there were many times in Judah's history and Israel's history when a greater power would come and attack it that God would supernaturally deliver his people from a mighty power. But that's not what happens here. But Daniel says this, no, you've got to see what's happening. There's God is behind this moment. God is behind Nebuchadnezzar taking over Judah How did he know that? How could he understand? How did he have this perspective on human events? Because you know why? He knew his word. He knew the word of God. He knew knew what the Bible said about human history. And here's what he knew. And if you go all the way back to the the history of Judah, what happens is, remember, Daniel is born in in the time of Josiah. And when Josiah was king, Josiah grew up in, in, a, in a pagan culture. It, Judah had become so corrupted under the king Manasseh 
that they didn't even understand. They have a copy of, of God's word, but they're cleaning out the temple and they find a scroll, the scroll of the first five books of the Old Testament. And they find it, they dust it off, and they read it before Josiah. And when Josiah hears what is read in the first five books of the Bible, he rips his clothes and weeps. He's like, Something, someone's got to explain this to me. And the reason why is because if you look at, write these three passages down. Leviticus chapter 26, Leviticus chapter 26, Deuteronomy chapter 4, and Deuteronomy chapter 28. Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 28. Those verses explain certain things. And here's what it explains. If you, my people, serve other gods, if you give your heart and your life to these other gods around you, I will come and bring disaster upon you. I will take you out of this land. And so that's exactly what, what, what Josiah reads. In fact, I want you to see this, uh, a couple scriptures, uh, a scripture I want you to see in, in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 28. Keep your finger in Daniel. We'll have the verses on the screen. But Deuteronomy 28, towards the end of the book of Deuteronomy, this is what God says to his people who he's making a covenant with. In verse 47, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put an, a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like, like the eagle, a nation whose language you did not understand, a hard-faced nation who shall, not, who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. See, Daniel knew this passage. Daniel knew the prophecies. If you read First King, or Second Kings chapter 20, where, where Isaiah prophesies the people of Babylon, Hezekiah, your lineage, you'll have people from your, your lineage that will be eunuchs for the king of Babylon. Daniel knew the prophecies. He knew the prophecies, the, what the prophet said against King Manasseh said, because of the wickedness done in this nation, where I'm going to send another nation to conquer you. Daniel knew the word of God. In fact, I love what John Lennox says. John Lennox writes a book about Daniel called Against the Flow. If you're a young person under the age of, of 20 or 25, I would encourage every single young person in this, in this room to buy this book and read it. But this book says, in, what John Lennox says about Daniel in understanding his perspective, this is what he says, I love it. He says, listen, if, if, if King Nebuchadnezzar did not come and take away and not conquer Judah, it would have shaken Daniel's faith. Isn't that fascinating? Daniel had such faith in the pro prophecies of God and God's faithfulness to his word, he expected what happened to take place. You see, what, what we've got to do is we, we've got to ask ourselves, what voice am I hearing? Is the word of God so foundational to my perspective on how I see things? Am, am, I, am I reading God's word enough? Am I ingesting God's word enough? Am I filling my mind enough with God's word that it's framing how I see the world? It's framing how I see human events. You know, we, we are bombarded with media, bombarded with messages. And, you know, we, from TikTok to Facebook to, to, to cable news to podcasts, we have influencers and influencing things all around us, voices giving us messages at all times. The question we have to ask ourselves is what is shaping the way I see the world around me? And if it's not the word of God, there's something that's going to happen to you. 
You're, and I think the most dangerous thing that's going to happen to you is you are going to lose hope in that God is actually working in our world. You know, so you hear whoever's in political, you know, whoever's in political uh, positions of power in our country today, always listen to the other side. They feel like the sky is falling. Oh, the sky is falling. It's the worst possible thing ever in the history of, uh, the history of mankind, or what's happening in our world right now. You know, always exaggerating. And one of the dangers I think we can have is we can have the viewpoint of the right or the viewpoint of the left and not the viewpoint of above. And we've got to ask ourselves, what is influencing how I see the world? If you're sitting here this morning and you have no hope that God can work and move, no hope that God can change what's happening around us, no, no hope that God is orchestrating certain things so that maybe God is about to do something great, then you don't have God's perspective. Even in our, our country today, I mentioned how we're not living in Kansas anymore and the, the different morals and different social norms and the things that make us cringe or make us feel like, just, God, what are you doing? Even with that perspective, we have to believe that God, you know, even understanding what the Word of God says about maybe God is giving our nation over to the desires of our heart. You know, the gods of Molech, the gods of Baal are still around today. And we can still serve those gods as much as they served them 2,500 years ago. We can still sacrifice and do these kinds of things, whether it's the god of sexuality, the god of pleasure, the god of money, whatever it is, we are serving these other gods. Maybe God is giving us over to these things. And and here's, here's the question I have for us, okay? Here's the question I have to wrestle with on a regular basis, what if, what, if God, what if God's doing something to, to bring our nation to a crisis level by which the people of God are going to have to stand up and do something radical? Because here's, here's what I, I wonder. God, are you going to have to make our nation fall and crumble so that why we turn our hearts to you? Because here's what I know. I love my comfort and I love my security. But if God took away your comfort and your security so that our nation would turn back to him, would it be worth it? See, that's the idol of our hearts we have to confront. God, if you took away our money, if you took away our place in the world, if you took away our position, if you took away our power, but if you took away all these things so that our nation would turn back to you, would it be worth it? See, that's, the, that's God's perspective on human events, that God, I know you're doing something. I might not understand all of it, but God, you're doing something. And I, all of us in this room, we need to have the hope that God is, is working and that God can do amazing and mighty things in our world today. So we've got to have God's perspective on events. The second thing we've got to have is God's perspective on authority. God's perspective on authority. Again, this statement, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, Nebuchadnezzar's hand. You know, Daniel didn't, didn't just see God behind these human events. God, he saw God above these human powers. Nebuchadnezzar was not, did not have supreme authority. There was a supreme authority above Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest, had the greatest power and the greatest nation on the face of this earth. He, according to human terms, he did have ultimate authority. But what Daniel says, no, no, God gave this to Nebuchadnezzar. There was a higher power. There was a higher person in control above Nebuchadnezzar. And this is going to be tested over and over and over again. 
there are many kings that, are going to, that we're going to be looking at in the book of Daniel. Some of them will be named, some of them will not be named. But there's going to be human authorities that will have great power on this earth, that will exercise their power and authority. But over and over and over again, Daniel wants us to know this. There is a greater power and authority. And so, so when you read this, again, what Daniel is saying, the people of Babylon would not have agreed with Daniel's assessment of what's going on. You know, if there's a, if you're, get, you're picking up the news, the newspaper of, of you know, the Babylonian Chronicles, and, you, and you're looking at the day, like, oh, we, we conquered the nation of Judah last week, honey. And, and you just talk, oh, and that, this is the, what they did, and they brought about 10,000 of these young people back. Oh, this is what's going on. And they would, the, the way the Babylonians would have looked at it is they would have said this, and this is how every ancient Middle Eastern person in the ancient world would have viewed these events. Because in, what you have to understand is everyone combined their religion and their nationalism or their patriotism. Your God was, was married together with your government. Now, we live in America where we have a separation of church and state, but for the history of the world, that was not normal. In fact, most human rulers have tried to combine religion and patriotism because these are the two most powerful factors in motivating people's hearts and minds. And so what every, every good kingdom does is they, marry, they, they put a marriage between faith and marriage between patriotism and say, this is, the, this is our system. And what every single person would have thought is, when our nation conquers your nation, it might have something to do with our military strength. It might have something to do with, our, with how many people we had or how smart our generals were. But for the most part, when our nation conquers your nation, it means this. Our gods are above your gods. Our gods are stronger than your gods. That's what everyone believed. That, that if, if one nation fell to another nation, it just meant that these gods were superior to these other gods. But what Daniel is saying is so contradictory. He's saying, no, that's not how you, that's not how you see the world. That's not how we should interpret these human events. Think about Daniel writing to the exiles who are wondering, God, what's going on? What's going to happen to your covenant people? What's going We are now in exile. There's no temple. There's no king. There's no line of David. Is, is Messiah going to come? What's going to happen to the word of God? What's, oh God, what's going on? And Daniel's one saying, he's giving all of his contemporaries this perspective. God is still in charge. This word El El Yon, God most high. You know, throughout what you read about in the, the exilic prophets or when the writings of people in exile, they have a unique name for God. They call him the God of heaven or the God of heaven and earth or God most high. And they, they use this terminology for God because they no, longer were, they no longer had a land, but they had a belief that God was greater. And so what, what, what Nebuchadnezzar would want to do, how when he conquered nations, he would take them to Babylon. And the whole point of Babylon was to wow you into submission. Hey, I want you to see how powerful they are. I want you to see something where there's a picture on the screen of the Ishtar Gate. There are eight great gates around the city of Babylon. This is the Ishtar Gate. And you see on the Ishtar Gate, there's lots of these creatures that represent different gods or beasts of Babylon. And there's actually some writing of when when Nebuchadnezzar wrote or, or built the, the Ishtar gate, and most likely as the three deportations of Judah happened, it was most likely built during the third, or in between the second and third 
uh, a deportation. Daniel probably saw an earlier version of this because he tore down the first ones, but this was an impressive, a massive, this was the gateway, all right? This is a replica of this. And what happens is if you go to the Pergamum Museum in Berlin, I've actually been there a few times to see this, they, have, they dug up the actual tiles of this in the ground. And they've reconstructed in this museum in Berlin, in the Pergamon Museum, what this looked like. And it's just to, it's meant to mesmerize you and blow you away. And, and it's interesting because how they reorchestrate it in Babylon or in, in Berlin is you walk through and you just you're surrounded by this, this beautiful, uh, this ornate uh, you know, structure. And it was really cool to think about, you know, you look at the tiles in that museum. And you think about how Daniel and his friends saw those tiles. He saw them being laid. He saw them being put up. And, and this whole thing was to impress you, to wow you. When you, were being a, when you were taken captive and you were sent to Babylon and they would march you through as, as prisoners of war through this gate, they had one common goal. And that was to tell you Babylonians' gods are greater our system is greater, our authority is greater, we are more powerful than you, and you better become like us. They had one singular mission, and that was to convince you, I'm going to forsake my gods, I'm going to forsake my authority, and what I believe is true, and I'm going to trust in this system. What Daniel is saying is, he and his friends are going to be tested on who's really in charge, and over and over again, as we go through the weeks, you'll see how this, this perspective is challenged. And there are times where their life is hanging by a thread. But they have to make a decision. Who will I fear most? See, some of you, some of you are living in, in environments that it's, it's, it's scary to take a stand and say, you know what, I'm going, I'm live, there's a greater authority here. Yeah, there's, there's a popularity group. There's a, there's a boss there's a, there's a structure, there's something that I'm living in that makes me feel like, man, this is, these, these people are, they, they have power to make you feel and to conform you into the image of the world. But we are not to be conformed to the image of, of the world, we to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We need God's perspective on things. We need to see the world the way he sees the world. And what God wants us to say is, listen, do you fear man more than you fear me? And some of us are living in this, in this world where we fear, fear people more than we fear God. And what God is telling you this morning is you have a choice to make. How will you see the human authorities around your life? Are you going to live your life trying to impress the world around you, the people around you? Or will you live your life before the God of heaven and say, you're the one that I want to impress most? Are you fearful? You're working in a work environment where, where the, the, the agenda and the values and the system is, is becoming more and increasingly against your worldview and your values. Will you fear what they will do to you? I could lose my job. I could lose my livelihood. What will you fear? Do you fear man more than you fear God? Or will you trust that God is able to take care of you? You do trust in him that there's a greater authority in our world. That's what Daniel's saying. We've got not only have God's perspective on events, we've got to have God's perspective on authority. And lastly, we need to have God's perspective on values. God's perspective on values. Look at the last part of verse 2. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. 
And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Now, this phrase right here, I mean, when you read it, remember how we say you got to ask the Bible questions. Don't just read that and skip over and be like, okay. Like, when you read that, you're like, what is the big deal with the vessels? I mean, Daniel's talking about, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar came against Jehoiakim, and God delivered Jehoiakim into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and these are the people he took. Or the, but he talks about vessels, the vessels in the temple, and how Nebuchadnezzar took the vessels that were in the temple of God and took the vessels and put it in the temple of his God. Why is that such a big deal? Why is that, why is that introduced in the very beginning like, hey, you really need to know what's going on here. You really need to understand what, what's happening here. Daniel is using this as an illustration of you've got to understand what is at stake in this moment. And this is why Daniel puts this here. Daniel is saying this. This is, this is about perspective, God's perspective on values. He's saying, these, what do these vessels represent? When you think, go all the way back to the Old Testament. Go all the way back to the book of Exodus and how they made these, these vessels that to, to go into the tabernacle. And, and when they made them and, and Solomon built the temple and, and they're put in the holy place, in the holy of holies, in the outer courtyard, that there was these places where this was where you worshipped Yahweh. And in fact, these, were, these are sacred vessels. Not everyone can just go up and touch them or, or use them. This is for a certain special tribe in our nation. Not just that, a certain family within a certain tribe can only go into this room and touch them and handle them and use them. See, see what, what Daniel is saying is that Nebuchadnezzar and what Babylon wants to do is they want to take what is sacred and they want to take what has infinite value and make it something that has relative value and something that is common. What, the, what Babylon wants to do, what you and I will constantly be tested on as we live in Babylon, as Babylon becomes more main street in our culture, what it's going to always convince you and test you in is this. Will you still believe that the things that God holds sacred are still sacred? Or will you adopt our values yeah, you can, still, you can still believe in your God. Just don't, just don't bring it out in public. They're all, listen, what the world, what Babylon wants, you believe what you want to believe, it's all good. Just do it in your home. Don't, don't bring it out in the public square. We don't want to hear about your God being above all other gods. Your God is just like every other God. So when you say your God is better than our God's, we don't like that. We're going to go against that. And so there's this idea that the, something that's of relative worth, something that's of an infinite worth becomes relative worth. And something that is supposed to be sacred is something that, is, something that just becomes common in their sight. You know, years ago, my, my wife and I and our family, we, we, haven't, we haven't had cable for, I don't know, more than 10 years. We cut the cord before it was cool. But we, we got rid of it and uh, a long time ago. But when we did have cable, you know, you sit there at night and you flip through the channels. And, and uh, there's one show that would always kind of like, we would just stop and like, we just, you know, start watching it. It's just one of these tractor beam shows. And it was Antiques Roadshow. You know, you ever watch the Antiques Roadshow? 
it's just one of the shows that there's really no, there's no story to it, but you're just kind of like, oh, what, what, what that's worth, you know? You're like, see some wooden doll and your eyes missing, like, this is worth $100,000. Like, what? You can't believe it. It's just like, and, and the whole idea of Antiques Roadshow is people bring their junk or their stuff to these appraisers in this giant convention hall, and they show, and, and it's always, it was always fun for me to watch the guy who brings us like, you know, I think this is like the most expensive vase ever. And the guy looks at it like, yeah, that's a cheap knockoff from Taiwan. You know, it's like, like, oh. And then someone pulls out this, this old painting. Oh, it's up in my attic or it was in my grandfather's house. And they're like, this is a missing piece of art from blah, 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 artist. It's worth $100,000. And like, really? And they always, in that moment, when that, when that, that artifact is, is valued at a certain price point. Remember what they always say? So what are you going to do? And I'm always like, sell it, man. Get the cash. Get the money. That thing, I mean, and, and there would be people that would do that. They'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm selling this thing first chance I get. But then there would be those people. They, they would get, they would be like, this is worth $100,000. And they would look like, do you want to sell it? Like, no, this was this was valuable to my grandfather. I just couldn't imagine parting with it. There's a value to this painting that was greater than the dollar amount on it because of, of the, the person that they associated it with. And, and the reason why the vessels of the temple are so important is because they represented Daniel's relationship with God. Those vessels represented the presence of God and they represented the power of God and the work of God. And to Daniel, these were things that were sacred, and he was never, ever going to violate that in his conscience. His his convictions of this is what's right, and this is what's wrong. This is what is sacred, and this is what is common. He would never allow Babylon to define what was sacred for him. He would never let Babylon define what was good for him. It was God and God alone. He needed God's perspective on these things. And you and I face the same challenge today. We face a world that wants to tell us, listen, you can believe in Jesus, but don't say Jesus is Lord. Yeah, you can pray at the school event, but don't pray in Jesus's name. You can believe in a God, but don't say the word Jesus. Or Jesus is just like, a, he's just like all the other holy people. And so what we have got to ask ourselves is, will we, do we have a love for Jesus the way Daniel had a love for Yahweh? Because if Jesus has transformed our lives, if, if, he, if we have put our faith and our trust in him, if we believe he gave his life for us on the cross, he bled and shed his blood and he paid the ultimate price for us. He took on our shame. He took on our guilt. He took on our condemnation. And what he has given to us, the treasure, the treasure of our salvation is so important to us that when the world says, no, 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 put that aside and adopt our values. Put that aside and adopt our worldview. We're like, no, 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 Jesus is too precious to me. We are going to be challenged, especially those, listen to me, those of you who are younger, those of you who are in the school system, those of you who are just beginning your careers, you will be challenged like none of us will be. You're going to be challenged to adopt 
the value systems of the world. But you need God's perspective. What, what I love about Daniel, Daniel's probably about 16 or 17 years old when he finds himself in Babylon. But what Daniel had was convictions that were set in concrete before he stepped foot into Babylon. And if you're a young person, you've got to ask yourself, what inside of my heart, what inside of my mind is still wet concrete? What's still wet? What is still moldable? Or what is, st- what is solidified? So no matter what college classroom I find myself in, no matter what room I find myself in, no matter what my boss says, and even if we're older, no matter what our group of friends are saying, that we can say, no, 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 here's what is true. Here is what is good. And the world around me might be saying this is a value or this is not a value, but my values are set in stone because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus has done. That is the choice we have to make. And the choice we bring, uh, I bring before you is to say, what's going to be your perspective moving forward? When you wake up tomorrow morning and you enter into that work environment, when you wake up, t- you know, when you go to school this next year, when you are with your friends and your, in your neighborhood group hanging out, you have choices to make. You will either see the world the way God sees the world. You will either have God's perspective on things or you will have the world's perspective. Babylon is coming. It's not slowing down. And the challenges that we face today are going to be greater than ever. And my challenge to us today is to be the kind of church, to be the followers of Jesus that say, we will see the world the way God sees the world. We're going to see the events around us the way God sees the events. We're going, to have, we're going to see the authorities around us the way God sees the authorities. We're going to see the value system around us the way God sees the value system around us. Because whatever God sees, that's what I see. And I'm adopting whatever God sees as the way I see the world. That is the choice we have before us. Three questions and then we're done. Number one, whose perspective do you have? Whose perspective do you have? Is your perspective more like Babylon? Or is your perspective more like God? Who, what's the perspective that's what's shaping you? And, and second, what's, what is the hardest for you to have God's perspective on? Is, is it hardest for you to have God's perspective on human events? You know, you're hopeless. You're scared. You're not sure. You're not sure where God is. You feel like God has abandoned us. Or maybe it's hardest to see God's perspective on authority because you struggle with fear so much. The fear of control, You're, you see other people making decisions, or the fear of, or, or maybe it's just you have a hard time having the values of God. What is it that's the hardest for you right now to have God's perspective on? That's what you need to ask God to do. And then, then thirdly, what is God doing in you and around you? What I love about Daniel, what I love about his, it, humanly speaking, it felt like God had abandoned his people. It felt like God had allowed the pagan nations to overcome God's people and to destroy the temple. But what Daniel knew is that God was at work, that God was active. And what I want to ask you today is, how do you see God working in you and around you? What's he doing? Are you you acknowledging it? And the, the last question I want to ask you, and again, this isn't in my notes, but I just sense the Holy Spirit is asking me, to ask you this question, what do you need to repent of this morning? What part of Babylon has crept into your heart and into your mind 
and into your choices and into your life. So now there is a, there's a, there, Babylon's not just in Main Street. Babylon's now in your home. Babylon now is taking residence in your heart and in your mind. And the best way that we can reject Babylon is to repent and say, God, I reject the world's ways. I reject the, I, I reject the world's values. I reject the world's authority, and I'm turning my heart wholeheartedly to you, to Jesus and Jesus alone. That's the choice you have to make this morning. What choice will you make?